Hi everyone and welcome back. As we all know, the Chicago Marathon just took place and we saw so many phenomenal performances this year. Today on the pod, we have Ambui, who is the owner and founder of Run Resiliently Physical Therapy based right out of Oakland, California. She was a finisher out of the Olympic Development Corral in Chicago, and her goal was to run the Vietnamese national record in a time of 2.45. An is a good friend of Colleen's, and we all had a lot in common, so it was just a great catch-up session for all of us. She talked all about her experience at Chicago and how she was able to show up to the starting line, not only healthy, but also ready to race. And we really hope you enjoy our conversation as much as we did recording it. Without further ado, here's our conversation with An. Welcome, I'm Bowie. Thank you for having me, Coverlada and Colleen. I'm so excited to be here. And it's it's going to be a really fun, authentic, genuine conversation. Yes, that's what we love. <laughs> yeah, Colleen was like, we have to get this girl on. We're coached by the same person. She's going after this record. And I kind of knew of you through Instagram. And it was so wild because I just flew out to San Francisco, what, like two weeks ago randomly bumped into you with like a, the same group of friends. I was like, oh my God. I'm like, wait a minute. I know exactly who you are. <laughs> the mm-hmm. running scene is really, really small. And I think the longer that you've been in it, you kind of just realize how everyone is interconnected. And like, I'm, I was so excited to see you at our, you know, Tempo Crew meetup on Fridays because people don't really get to, people don't really know that much about like the Bay Area running scene mm-hmm. um, compared to like New York or Boulder. Yeah. What is that like? Because I know you ran for Central Park, which we all did, which is awesome. But what was the transition like going from a club like Central Park to now moving out to California and joining? Do you run for the Impalas officially? No, I don't. Um, I don't race for any team anymore. More or less for me right now, like I just like I like running with different people um, and having that flexibility to train with people from different teams. And like I have my own marathon coach, so sometimes it's just kind of hard to coordinate schedules. But coming from a place like Central Park Track Club, there's nothing like the New York City running scene. I can tell you guys that. Like, I lived in Boulder. I lived in California. Like, I don't know. New York City, We I don't know how big our team was, 500 plus. But everything was also centralized. Like, there was also, like, New York Roadrunner races that everybody did. And so you would see the same people. Um, and in the Bay Area, it's a little bit different because we're so spread out and even the teams are really spread out. So like for he has like a train ride. So the teams are pretty separated and a little bit far apart. Um, and then every race is organized by like a different organization. So wow. it's, it's not as tight knit as New York City, but there's yep. still like the same level of like energy and intensity that people don't realize. Yeah, probably took a while to figure all that out, too. Absolutely. Yeah. I also feel like living here, so many pe- runners live here for a, a period of time, then they leave, they go to California, they go to Colorado, they go to like Florida, or like somewhere warmer and Austin, I'm noticing. And it's so cool that like, for me personally, wherever I go, I can always find someone to run with usually like if I go to California, I'm going to call Ayn or some friends from Apollo and um, in Miami, I have friends there. So it's just so cool how we're like spread out, but we're also like, I know what kind, I don't know what everyone's up to, but I have an idea of what people are doing. Yeah. And like, funny enough, like I move out to back to the Bay area and like, I still run with people who race for central park track club. So we're everywhere. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. So Ayn, your legs, how are you feeling? You just had a phenomenal performance in Chicago. Tell us all about it. Oh, thank you. Um, it was, I'm feeling pretty good today. And as I kind of mentioned before, like every marathon that I've done, and I've done nine so far, each one, like I've just been completely wrecked the next day. Like I, I go to the well with every single race and like always the next day, you know, it's hard to get on and off the toilet. It's hard to roll over in bed, go up and down the stairs. And like, actually for this one, oddly enough, like I did run a personal best. And on Monday I was walking around. I was like, okay, this is different. This is, this is completely different. Like I'm doing okay. And I'm recovering actually really well. Was your training different or did you add more strength into this buildup for Chicago? Both. I think part of it too is like I've had, knock on wood, I've had a pretty long stretch of not being injured for a year, like not even anything really small. Um, so I was able to build a lot of weeks throughout the year of just like higher mileage and consistency. And so I training wise, I felt better prepared going into it. And then just being like super diligent about strength training at least twice a week. And, you know, even like the last 10K of the race, as things were starting to unravel for me, like physically, I felt pretty good. No calf cramps, no hamstring cramps. Like my glutes were really tired, but like otherwise, physically, I felt good. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's that's a first, too. It's interesting how every marathon is just it's so different. I don't know. Tell us about that last 10K, because I know that feeling so well. Um, I was tracking the whole time. Like, I was just like, wow, she is killing it. How did you continue to, like, push through when that, when you're, the wheels are coming off and your legs are starting, as you shared, like, your glutes are starting to, like. <laughs> yeah. So, like, backtrack, my goal was to run under 250. So, my best going into it was, like, 253.41. So, I was training to go under. And the race well, we we had our own pacers and our pacer actually took us out way faster than I wanted to run. And it's so hard to like contain yourself in a race like Chicago Marathon because like you're running through downtown, like there's just so many people. Like I didn't even know that many people lived in Chicago. You can't see the mile markers because people are blocking it and the GPS doesn't work on top of all of that. So for me, my goal was to run like 625s and you know, the first split I got was at the two mile marker. And I was like, oh, shoot, like I'm running like 615s. Like that's going to come back to bite me for sure. It's just a matter of like when. So I backed off my pace group and kind of just tried to run my own race. And in that last 10K, it, the GPS in Chicago is still a little bit wonky. And it seems like every time you're near like a, a big, building or something like it could say you're running 630s but really you're running like 645 650s but for me in that last 10k it just you know like when you're starting to see your a goals start to slip away a little bit and you're starting to negotiate things in your own mind so like okay well maybe i can run like 640s or something or like maybe i can just like push through this and then when i see that last mile, I'm just going to like kick to the finish because I want this to be over. And like, those were kind of the negotiations going in my head at the time. So my legs were definitely tired from going out very fast. I snuck in like a 40 second PR. So I can't be mad there about you that. Go. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. And there's I'm, always like your A goal, but then you still accomplish what your B goal was. So that's great. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And actually funny enough, like Mario, my coach always tells me like, your racing style reminds me of Colleen. 
Yeah, no, in a good way. Like we just, we just go for it. And like, we're not scared to fall apart. Because you know what, there's like that one day where everything clicks together. And like, I can't, I can't start a race and like not go for it. So yeah, I think it's funny, because um, what you're sharing right now reminds me of CIM. And I was also training to go under 250. And I went out way too fast. Unlike you, who's a smarter runner, it wasn't two miles too fast. It was 13. <laughs> oh my God. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I was like, YOLO, let me just try for the, the standard and forget my goal. And um, I remember being like, okay, no more 615. Now let's see if you do 620. Let's see if you can do 630. Let's see if you can do 640. Just hold on to the end. So I totally understand everything that you're sharing. But like, that's so important too, because like, I'm people might disagree with this, but like for me, like there's never ever a thought of like I'm gonna drop out, right? Like I, I have to pay my consequences and like finish it all the way through and like just see what I can squeeze out on a given day. And so like I think it's important to kind of go through those like mental games with yourself during these races because like you'll learn from those experiences down the road too. Totally, totally. And that was one of the conditions I made. I kind of knew when I started that race that I was going to just try to hold on to 6.15, even though I never even ran 6.15s in my workouts. And my goal of myself is even if you walk, you cannot drop out of this race. But actually, so Colleen, that reminds me, like, we both ran Chicago 2021. And that was the first time that I had seen you in a while. And that day was so hot. Um, and we actually almost crossed paths in the med tent at one point, I think. That was the worst race of my entire existence. Um, and Fred, I know you didn't have a good race either. Yeah, that was uh, that was one where sometimes you just have to like just know that this is not going to be your day. And my allergies and sinus and respiratory, everything was it was a mess. But um, I still ran and paced a friend. So like to your point, I got If you're out there, you got to do something. But I, th- I feel like you had a nice redemption run on set on Sunday. So congratulations. I did. And you know what? Usually, like, I don't think, I mean, I don't really care that much about like a finisher medal. Most of it goes in like, I don't know, like a, a shoebox somewhere. Like, I don't have like a nice display like people think I do. I probably should. But like this one, it actually felt really nice to get the medal because I know I didn't get it back in 2021. So Anya, like just thinking about your journey, you started as a 3.30 marathoner and now you're, you know, you're right at like, you know, going up for that sub 250. How, how did you do that? And how, how do you feel? Like what's, what's the, the next step for you? Um, it's, I think it's a little bit, I, for me, like I'm still surprised and I like looking back, like I never thought that I would be in the position that I am today, like career wise or even like running wise. Um, and which is really fun because like when I knew you guys on Central Park Track Club, like I was like a my best marathon at the time was like a 328. You know, just to backtrack a little bit. I ran in middle school for fun. I ran in high school competitively, but I was injured like all the time. By some miracle, I was able to walk on to UC San Diego. So I did run in college. Um, but at the same time, I was just like injured all the time in college, never really built any momentum or consistency. I was disappointed. Like I never felt like I lived up to what I thought I could run collegiately. And so afterwards I ran my first marathon in Portland, Oregon. And at the time, like 
you know, a friend from college was like, hey, like, let's take our college running fitness and see if we can Boston qualify. And that's just what everybody did. It wasn't like the smartest thing to do because we didn't actually like train very well for a marathon. But I got my Boston qualifier there. And I ran Boston in 2016 and was like, this is going to be the last marathon I ever do because I'm moving to New York City that summer and I'm starting a whole new chapter. I'm going to Columbia for PT school. I'm pretty sure I wrote in my training journal at the time, like if running Boston is my last big race, like I can live with that and I'll be happy with that. Like that's that was that's a huge accomplishment. And then I move out to New York City and a friend that runs for Central Park Track Club took me on a run and she's like, you should really like come to a couple practices. And I did. And, you know, the first Central Park Track Club practice I went to um, was like a tempo on a Thursday. And there's the A group, the fast group, the B, C, D. I literally tempoed with like the D group at like 730 pace. And I was I was so out of shape. I was I was like dying. But, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I'm going to keep showing up to practice and like surround myself by like all the people that I admire and I want to run like. And like, even just with that, and just having a community, like, I got a lot faster over time. Like, I think in 2018, I went from like 328 to 315 in the marathon. And then uh, I moved out to Boulder, Colorado for my sports residency. So I lived there for about two and a half years. Um, I joined Boulder Underground. And that was the first time I hired like a marathon coach. Matt Hensley, he's great. He got me from 315 to... 304, 302, 258. Um, so I only broke three for the three hours for the first time, like less than two years ago. Wow. Yeah. And then and then I started working with Mario once I moved back to the Bay Area. So they always say when you run a marathon or train for a marathon, you learn something about yourself every cycle. So now going into your ninth marathon, like what did you kind of learn differently or what have you changed from marathon one to marathon nine? One thing that I've learned the most is that my strength is my strength. I know that I can't go out too fast and somehow I keep making that mistake. um, Like I, I know that about myself, but I also know that even when I start to suffer, like I can still pull out like some decent mileage. Like I'm not going to implode, like I can still hold it together, but it might not just be like the, you know, the last 10 K that I picture in my mind. But like, I just know that when, you know, when things start falling apart, like I can still hold it together. Gotcha. So from marathon nine compared to your first marathon, like, have you like increased your miles? Like, is that where you get more of your, your success from is just like building on those weekly miles? Or do you rely a little bit more on speed? Are you doing more track work working on that 5k, 10k? Like where, where's that sweet spot for you? So interestingly, like my first, my first and second marathon, like I actually did run a lot of miles. Like I would peak at like 70 miles a week, but the problem was I would peak and then I would get hurt and then I would be back at like 50 miles. So like if you look at my average mileage in like say the first six marathons, like I wasn't holding steady at like 70 miles a week. It was probably realistically averaging over 12 weeks, probably more like 55, 60. And so this time going into this marathon, um, what Mario had me do was basically stack 75 mile weeks back to back and like try to stay healthy and 
stay strong and be able to hit my paces through those weeks. So I was stacking mileage um, and I was still doing, you know, speed work, you know, on Tuesdays and then long run workouts on Saturdays and the long run workouts I've been pushing a lot in the past um, one to two years. And that's actually helped me a ton. On your Instagram, you have a ton of videos about like strength and conditioning and, and staying healthy. You are a physical therapist. So what does that, what role does that play in your training as well? Because I'm sure you probably hit the gym at least twice a week, I would assume. Yeah, I, um, we have a home gym and I always recommend that, you know, if you have the space to do it at home, like set up a home gym because you're more likely to stay consistent with doing your exercises if it's just right there. And like, you don't have to add that other next step of like, okay, I got to drive myself to the gym. I got to pack everything. But, you know, I try my best to do, do what I preach. And I think in some ways, like me being a physical therapist and working with runners all day, it's just like, well, it's a reminder for myself of like, okay, I need to stay on top of my stuff too. And a lot of the times, like I, I find inspiration from my own patients, like whether they are weekend warriors or running their first marathon in five years to like the professional runners that I work with, like there's just something so inspiring about how hard my patients work to like try to get to the start line. And it's just an everyday reminder to me of like, okay, this is a gift. Like I, I get to do this. I get to help other people make it to the start line. And I love hearing about how my patients do at their races as well. And like, I'll give an example. I worked with a woman who um, she's had two kids in the last five years and uh, she lived in Chicago. She moved here and uh, this would be her first Chicago marathon in five years. And like, this has been a five-year goal for her to like be able to finish, whether that's you know, four hours or five hours or six hours, like she didn't care. She just wanted to finish. And um, she's had this ongoing meniscus injury in her knee, where like doctors and physical therapists have told her in the past not to run. And um, I saw her all year for PT, we did a ton of strength work, core strengthening, hip strengthening. And she she finished her marathon on Sunday. And like, honestly, like her accomplishment is like way bigger than mine. Like I it's it's so impressive to see what's like people can do and like just seeing them accomplish a five-year goal. I'm like you. I get inspiration from other people all the time. And every day I'm like, I got to check the box. They're doing it. I got to do it. So when you show up on race day, you have that confidence because you know you've put in all the work and done all the things to be your best self on race day. Yeah. And actually to your point, Rolanda, like People asked me going into the race, like, oh, you know, how do you feel? How do you feel? And like, you kind of get that question like a, many, a million times. For me, like, I felt like I had such like a beautiful training block that whatever happened on Sunday happened. Like, that's that's out of my control. Like, you know, God can decide how fast I run. But like, you know, if you do everything that you're supposed to do leading up to the race, like, it is what it is. And you take that pressure off yourself and you just run as best as you can on that day. And like, whatever happens, happens. I love how you walk the walk. I like just listening to you now. It seems like a lot of what you're talking about too, is like the physical, but also the mental component of running that resonated with me. My strength is my strength. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that. Um, but also like knowing that it's going to get really hard, but you're, you're going to stay in it. It might be messy, but you're going to get to that finish line. How did you, did you always have that mindset or did that come with just practice and trial and error and believing and trusting the, the training? 
I think I've always, I've grown up with that mindset. And, and like mindset is such an interesting and like powerful tool as well. Like I think if you've done enough of these endurance races, you start to learn that one of my mantras to during this training block was like, I want to see who I become on the other side of this. So like, you know, I, I, if I throw in the towel, I never, I'll never know. But like, if I can just push it through like one more mile, like I want to see what kind of character or person I become on past this. So that's something that I always repeat to myself, you know, growing up, and this might be like a little bit of a long story, but it is important to kind of explain, you know, where that mindset comes from is like, you know, I was born in Vietnam and we immigrated here as refugees when I was two, letting go of everything that we had back in Vietnam and moving here and starting over. Like I'm one of three kids. I'm the youngest of three. Um, my dad worked at a gas station when we moved here in 1993. So like even kind of just thinking about that, like how like having three kids in the Bay Area is really expensive let alone like, you know, making minimum wage and going to night school. Like my mom couldn't work because she was taking care of us. Um, so, you know, I didn't come from like a super privileged background where like sports was the priority um, of growing up. And so for me, like just watching my parents struggle and work really hard to make ends meet, like that just instilled in me like what hard work is. And And like, you know, even like today, like, I get to run. It's not my priority, like get to do this. This is what I do for fun. You know, my parents didn't get to grow up doing sports like I do. And like, you know, they didn't get to travel to marathons to do these things. So to me, it's like, it's just a privilege to be able to get to do this. Wow. Thank you for sharing your experiences. And I hear that, like, it is a privilege to be able to, to do, to do this sport and, and, and center that with, with joy. So speaking of your experience, so you're Vietnamese. Um, I know we had chatted and I saw on your social media that one of your, you know, your your goals is um, the Vietnamese national record for women. I, I think it's 245. Yeah, it's 245. <laughs> and honestly, like the fact that I can even believe in myself that I can do something like that is like a big deal, you know, compared to like, you know, five years ago, when I was still running like 330 in the marathon. Um, but yeah, that so I, I didn't even know what the national record was like, I never bothered to look that up, because it didn't really interest me. Like I was, my goal was to always go for the old Olympic trial standard 245. Um, and it just so happened that one day, a friend told me, Oh, did you know, that's the Vietnamese national record, like you can potentially get that. So it is something that's on my goal and on my radar, but like, I don't put a ton of emphasis on that because I also feel like when you get too focused on one goal, then like you start to lose sight of, you know, the joy in everyday training. So for me, it's going to happen when it happens, but like, I'm not going to be like, I need it to happen next year or I need it to happen in two years. Like it's going to happen. I just don't know when. So it's, I love that philosophy of like having a goal, but enjoying all this, the wins along the way. Yeah. And what's super interesting too is like, you know, I can kind of see my running journey as like different chapters. Basically, like New York was a different chapter. Boulder was a different chapter. And like now it's, I moved back. I started my PT practice here in Oakland and like also kind of realizing that for me showing up to the start line, like and for anyone, like you inspire somebody out there, whether you realize it or not. 
And for me, it's inspiring, you know, the Asian American population. You know, you don't see a lot of diversity in the elite field for a lot of different reasons to no one's fault, but you just don't see a lot of it. And, you know, something so beautiful happened to me at the Marathon Expo. Like I went to go pick up my elite bib and I have like a mask on because, you know, it's like two days before the race. So God forbid I get COVID COVID before (laughs) Chicago. (laughs) And I'm like the only one in the expo with like a mask on still. So apparently no one else cares. This uh, Vietnamese woman waves me down and she was like, Oh my gosh, are you are you on like are are you the owner of Run Resiliently PT? I'm like, how did she identify me with a mask on? <laughs> and she asked for a photo with me and she just said that I was like inspiring and like she's Vietnamese and and it was just such like a beautiful interaction that I'm going to hold with me forever. That's a beautiful story. That would definitely pump me up going to the starting line of the Chicago Marathon. Yeah. And like, that's hard by Chicago is like one of my favorite races too, is because like, you run through all these different neighborhoods, and the cheer zones are very, very different. But something about like running through Chinatown, like really resonates with me. And like, I get a lot of extra love going through Chinatown for like, you felt that energy. (laughs) I, I totally felt that. So even when things were like falling apart in the last 10k, like, I was so happy to be here. And like, yeah, the Asian American population in Chinatown definitely pumped me up. So just giving them a big shout out. Um, I, I mean, I totally agree. As a white woman, it's a very white where Milan and I've had conversations, even book clubs about um, the distance running specifically um, and the whiteness of it all. So to hear stories of like like you inspiring and just like breaking barriers and what you shared, like you don't know who you're, who is watching you and who is admiring and who's like, oh, maybe I can do that too. So there's like so much joy to running and stories like this, like we need so many more stories like this, but um, it's beautiful just to hear. I'm sure there are a lot of stories too. It's just like people don't always have the platform to share it. Um, And I guess to, you know, to say on that topic, like, I guess from your guys's perspective, like, what do you think or why do you think we don't see a lot of diversity in, you know, elite distance running? I guess for for my community, like it's not really seen as sexy distance running. Like a lot of people in the black communities, they're introduced to sprinting at a young age and that's all they kind of know. So it's more of like bringing awareness to distance running and making it seem cool and getting more people in the community, bringing it to the younger generation. So For me, one of my motivations for running is to inspire or retire. So I want people to see themselves in me when I show better race and I'm in that elite corral and the double A for New York Road Runners and things like that. And that's what gives me the motivation every time I step out the door. And now I'm one of the few black females that have run sub three in the marathon. And it's like, how many more can we bring along to fit that mold? So it's, it's really expiring for me. And I think we're getting there for sure. Like running is becoming more widely um, reachable to more communities. And it's also one of the cheapest sports to get into. All you need is like a decent pair of shoes and you can go out your door and run. So um, I think it's getting better. It's just going to take a while to get there to kind of even things out. But there's definitely we're definitely making waves in that in that aspect. Well, Rolanda, I can confirm you look super cool and super badass at the start line. <laughs> so you're you're definitely inspiring people out there. I can confirm. Very Thank much. You. So. Thank you. Inspired me every day. 
Um, I just as a as a white woman, I I my father is from Scotland, my mom is from Ireland. Like we never grew up with like American sports in our house. It was like soccer and running, and for me it was like oh. But I never ran professionally or um, in a college level. But after college, when I started, I just never. It was just a very white space, um, and it never it never as a white person, I never even noticed it. Um, and, you know, as I, I learned more about the, the world we live in and the inequities um, and how privileged I am, I wonder, and, and talking to my friends, Asian Americans, Black Americans, my husband, who's Chinese, it's um, a space where people don't necessarily feel welcome because it's not that connection. And I'm hoping that um, more stories like you, Ayn, and Rolanda, and more people just sharing their platform and just being more welcoming in general, white women, white men, just being more welcoming in this space, because it's space for everybody, um, mm -hmm. would make it a much more diverse and beautiful space where people all kind of work together and ran together and feel that joy that we're talking about right now. Yeah, I mean, diversity and, and distance running, that's, that, it's a loaded question. It's a very complicated question as well. And like, you know, for me, coming from an Asian American back, I think for us, it's just, you know, growing up, education is at the forefront, just straight up. That's that's just how it is. And like, if you grow up in an Asian American immigrant family, it's like the typical stereotype, but times 10. So <laughs> zero room for error. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. Like, if you mess up academically, like you really do bring shame to your community. So like kind of growing up with those academic pressures, like, sports was viewed as like, this is how you get into a UC college, right? Or like, this is how you get into the Ivy League, like you need a well rounded application. And that's just what sports was like, you know, I, I ran in college, but I got into the university first, and then decided to walk on. So that's just, you know, for me, I feel like we don't see a lot of Asian Americans in distance running because of those reasons. It's like, we're just not introduced to it early on as you know, maybe other cultures. How does running play a role in your life now? Because obviously you st started your career, like your parents wanted to make sure you were successful. You had your your career, you're all set. Now, do they understand the fact that you're still running and like what these goals mean to you and the people around you? Do they all get it? No, absolutely not. So, you know, the way that running fits into my life these days, I, I'm very lucky to have been, been able to build my career um, and it ties into my hobby as well. Like, it, this is what I do for fun. And I'm so lucky I get to do that. But, you know, in terms of like my family, do they understand, you know, what it means? Definitely not. <laughs> you know, they might text me like, good luck tomorrow. But whether I ran a four hour marathon or a five hour marathon, they would think that's great. That's great. <laughs> we We talk about it, but they don't fully understand what kind of goes into just getting to that start line. Yeah, I know like running me and Colleen talk about it all the time, how it provides that community. So no matter what your goal is, like running is always going to provide that structure and that community for you to meet up with your friends and gives you something to do and like goals on the calendar. So every day has a purpose. So like no matter how old you are, it's so hard to walk away from it, whether you're competitive or not, you know? Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And, and you know, like I think to that point, somebody asked me the other day, like, you know, when you get faster, does running get easier? No, absolutely not. And, and what's funny, too, is like, 
all right, you set these time goals and then you accomplish it. And then for some reason, like you're happy about it for like two weeks and then it's on to the next goal. I don't know. There's a little bit of a struggle there. So like for me, like I try to allow myself to be happy about it in the moment, even if like there's that next thing on the horizon. But I think as you get older within the sport, like you kind of have to develop new goals or, you know, new um like internal motivations to kind of keep you going in the sport and ways for you to feel accomplished and still stay connected with the community. I think that's such a great point. Uh, I think my goals were always very focused on times. And also, I also think the faster you get, the harder it is to get to that next level, but it's all in the story. Um, this is probably the first like cycle where I am not and I sometimes you say, oh, I'm not really into my time. I'm really not into my times right now. Having a child later in, as an advanced age uh, in woman and a master runner, having, if I'm going to go on like a four, 15 or 18 mile run, or I'm going to see my child spend the, the morning, my child, I'm going to cut it to six miles and go home because I don't see him during the week because of work. Um, he's at my in-laws and I see him after work and before. So every moment that I have is with him. But on those runs, whether it be a stroller run or like a, a seven mile run, I'm just so happy that I'm still doing this. And I know I'll go back to, you know, whatever, looking for a, getting that 250. I think we're on the same track. Um, but for now, it's just enjoying time with my friends, running with my friends, talking about running with Rolanda, um, hanging out with my distance project teammates, cheering them on, just running for fun. And I, I agree, like every every cycle has a, a purpose. It's not always the finish time. Colleen, I'm like dying for the day that you and I get to like run under 250 together. I hope we do it together. I was, I was too slow, but in the past to like keep up with you, but I think now I can keep up with you. <laughs> keep up with me. I'll be at your heels. Yeah. There was something that you posted on Instagram recently that I loved. And it was like, don't call this a comeback. <laughs> and it was, it was like this running photo of you. It's so badass because Johnny takes like the best photos. Yeah, but yeah, it said, don't call it a comeback. And I love that so much because, you know, whatever you're coming back from, like, it's never going to be exactly the same. No, it's not. I'm I'm your biggest fan. And I know you're going to get that. And I just hope I'm there with you during that time. We make it extra special. But I, I know you got this. I love it. Thank you. So on, I have a quick question for you because you do specialize in injury prevention and, and strength training. For most runners that start running later in life that don't have any experience with lifting weights or going to the gym, one, it's hard for them to find time to fit it in. And then two, if they do find the time, they just don't know what to do. So can you give a little bit of guidance for those people that want to try to stay injury free or just get a little bit stronger? Like what are your little tips or advice for those people? For those people, you know, the most important thing is getting started, right? It's like, it doesn't need to be perfect. And I think too, with the amount of information there is out there these days on social media, blogs, magazines, like almost overcomplicates things where like people think they need like perfect marathon training program to run this goal, or they need that perfect strength program that's 45 minutes to one hour long. And they're just hitting the weights two to three times a week. Um, but in reality, like if you don't have any experience with strength training, like, and you just do like 15 to 20 minutes, 
two times a week, you will make gains. You might not make maximal gains, but you will make gains. You just have to figure out how to get started. So what I always recommend is one, like figure out what your barriers are. If your barrier is time constraint, then you need to have um, a home gym or just a couple of items at home so that you can set yourself up for success. And then after that, basic exercises. Like I don't overcomplicate things. Things like squats, push-ups, deadlifts, and then a couple of single leg exercises, single leg deadlifts, side lunges, um, step-ups, like those check the boxes. So focusing on strengthening like key muscle groups, and then think about also moving in different planes of motion. So if, you know, all you do with running is moving forward and back, like you're not going to train your muscles that are designed to move in different planes of motion, like rotation, like they're all get stimulated in one direction. So when I, when I provide strength training guidance to a lot of runners, it's like, all right, I'm going to challenge you out of your comfort zone. We're going to move side to side. We're going to work on anti-rotation exercises. So in short, one, set yourself up for success. And then two, keep it simple. You know, if you start out with like two sets of 15 lightweight, that's great. That's still something. That's amazing. I know when I don't do mobility, I get so stiff and tight, like it's ridiculous. And then my running suffers. So it's like, I have to make sure I put some time in the day or the week to address those things. Otherwise, it's just a mess. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what, sometimes too, Rolanda, like I the way I view strength training is, is also like, it's a way for me to do mobility work. Because in my day to day, like I'm not squatting that deep, I'm not getting like, you know, going into like a deep lunge or anything. And so sometimes going into race week, like I'll still go through my strength routine movements. I just won't do it with weight. And I consider that, you know, hip mobility. A hundred percent. And then if you had a handful of items in your bag, if you're traveling, if you're going to a race, if you're going to the track for a workout, like what are those key items that you always have with you that you can plug? Oh, this is great because it's so fresh in my mind since I just came back from Chicago a couple days ago. Okay. But basically what I brought with me in my marathon bag was I don't bring a foam roller. I use this ball called the orb. It's a five inch foam ball, 20 bucks on Amazon. And I use that to basically roll out everything in the lower legs. It's super small. So it's easy to pack. I bring a lacrosse ball to roll out my foot and my calves. Um, and then I bring my Theragun mini and then that's it. I love my Theragun. I do too. Yeah. It was always um, weird traveling with that on the airplane. And when it, when it first came out, like explaining exactly <laughs> what that is. <laughs> but I think now they've seen it enough. They get it. I think the weirdest things to take through TSA is probably your Theragun and your um, like Graston tool. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> Those are some pretty weird things to explain to security. But I think by now, like it should be the norm. I have my Theragun at work under my desk and I work, I don't work in education. I mean, I, I work in fitness. I work in education ed policy. So my office is very quiet. So I realized like the first time I used it after a race that um, I need to go like to another room and use it. It is very loud. I have the older version. <laughs> oh, the oh, the older version sounds like a power drill. <laughs> Everyone oh looked up the first time I used it. Like, what is she doing under her desk? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day about like Norma Tech boots and like how much I felt like it contributed to recovery and like is there a way to travel with your Norma Tech boots? And uh you guys have tried it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I have okay. a pair actually. <laughs> so, you know, 
All right. So for anyone who's listening that like doesn't know what Norma Tech boots are, it's like it's it's very trendy these days. They're compression boots and it's supposed to help um, improve blood flow and enhance recover, recovery after training sessions. And um, uh, for me, I can't travel with my Norma Tech boots. They're so big and bulky. Too much. Uh, yeah, they're too much. And also like I'm Rolanda, maybe you can speak on this, too. But like I go through phases with mine and like I I don't really feel that big of a difference if I use them every day for like a month versus if I forget to use it for a month. Like they feel nice when I'm in it. But like in terms of recovery, like I think most of my recovery comes from sleep. A hundred percent. And I'm we had um, Amber Zimmerman on the podcast talking about sleep. I have not nailed it yet. And I know that is like the number one secret to recovery and performance. Still working on it. It's a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, you. I'm sorry, Rolanda. You're amazing in a lot of areas, but you still need to work on that sleep thing. I, I'd like to just share too that I always knew sleep was you know important, but since having a baby, there have been days where I walk out the door and walk home because I just can't function and really realize the importance of having sick sleep just to perform and function. I mean, uh, kudos to you, Colleen. Like, I don't have any kids, but. I don't know how parents do it. I've also heard that like when you have kids, you kind of just figure it out. Like you figure out how to manage like running around this new lifestyle and it's not as difficult as you think it will be. But also like, you know, at Chicago Marathon, I'm, you know, surrounded by a lot of female elite runners who have kids and all the things like, dang, like they can go down any minute with COVID or the flu or like a fever. And like, you know, that's just so much anxiety going into like a big race that like, I don't know, like, how do you how do you manage the unexpected, I guess, of like, having a newborn? I think you just said it, you just kind of figure it out. I, you know, I read not too much, but I read a significant amount when I was pregnant. And you know, as a woman, and I have friends, I had an idea, but I didn't have an idea. And I think everyone's journey is very different. And I have a friend right now who's pregnant. And I, I don't say too much to her because there's nothing anyone can say, anything you can read until you have that baby in your arms. And everyone's journey really is very different. I had a plan, a loose plan. That plan went completely out the window. Um, just in terms of my recovery um, from having a baby, it took me a very long time. You know, my just trying to figure out childcare and going back to work. And, you know, I think now I'm finally just figuring it out. He's over a year old. And I wouldn't say I'm just figuring it out. I'm more comfortable with the unknown. And as things, as I enter a different cycle of him, now he's a toddler, I'm just more comfortable being in the moment and just figuring it out what's good for me and my family and my mental health. And it's very different for each person. That's all I can really say. <laughs> you guys know Eileen Berry, right? Yes, uh, of course. Of my good friends. <laughs> I, I don't like this whole conversation just makes me think of her incredible performance this weekend. Like my friend John from San Francisco, who is part of the tempo running group on Fridays. Um, he was he was her pacer. He ended up being her personal pacer for that entire time. And like I don't know Eileen very well, but I I am good friends with John, and he was just like that was such an incredible opportunity and experience to pace this mama five to a five minute PR. She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. And I'm glad that we're, we're, we're talking about her right now. So if she's listening or when you listen, Aileen, like amazing job, you have no idea how many of us you're inspiring. 
Uh, she was part of that Nike program. Were you a part of that program as well? I am. I'm so lucky to be a part of it. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about what what that program was? Because I know there were a couple of people in the New York scene that were also part of it. I knew like sort of what it was about, but if you can explain like the kind of support it provided. Yeah. So I'm I'm not allowed to provide too much detail on the program. Uh, okay. Not yet. At least. You signed an but, NDA. <laughs> yeah. But what I can say, though, and the most what I find the most valuable thing about the program is that it's connecting and building a community of like 100 plus elite marathoners, female marathoners across the country. And like we have like a Slack community channel where it's like um, it, it, there's different topics. So like injury prevention, races, um, run plans. So like, you know, if you're going to be, if I'm going to be in New York, like I can like ask and be like, Hey, does anyone want to do this workout with me? Or like, who can I run with? So like you have that community across the country, wherever you go. And like, you also have that support system. So like, you know, I think that's probably the most valuable thing about this is like, how can you support and how can other female marathoners support each other? To basically go after this, you know, new Olympic trials standard of 237. And you um you met up with them when you were in Chicago, right? I think I saw on your on your Instagram. I did, I did. Um, they were they were incredible. Um, they do provide us a lot of support in, you know, helping us get to the start line and like they do provide us pacers during the races. It's a really incredible support system. And and, and it's also nice too to see companies that have the power and, you know, the financial means to be able to do this to, to support female marathoners. And, and I hope to see more companies um, doing that over time as well. Yeah, you mentioned before about pacers and how your group was going out a little bit faster than you wanted to go. Do you get a chance to talk to your pacer and your pace group before the race? Or is it just kind of like you figure it out when the race starts and you decide you're either going to go or kind of do your own thing? Like, where, what's the conversation like? for anyone listening, basically, if you run any faster than three hours, typically you don't get a pacer, right? <laughs> like, unless you're like going for an Olympic trial standard, everybody like you, you're on your own. And so for us, like the day before the race, like we do have um, like a pre-race meeting with the pacer. So like we kind of discuss everyone's individual plan. Some people don't want to run that exact pace and they'll just be like, I'm going to run on my own. Um, and then the pacer will tell you like, this is what we're going to do. Um, and I'll take the splits for you and I'll read them out loud. But I think in reality, what happens at a race like Chicago is like, you don't know where anybody is. Like the, the guns go, goes off and then like, it's just a flood of people. And then being like, being in the elite field as a female, basically what happens is all of the 230 men in the A corral is going to like, fly by you and you're like am I either slowing down or like are these people running really really fast um so that's you're it's really hard to like stay in a tight-knit pace group and like it's almost impossible to like talk to each other because you can't hear like the spectators are so loud in the best way possible but it's just for a race like you know Chicago or like a world major I find it really difficult yeah, we talk about that all the time about the the A men kind of swarming the female field. It's so overwhelming. I'm like, they have to figure out a way to restructure this so it just flows better. But um, yeah, Chicago was my first marathon that I've ever run or my only marathon to this date. And there were so many things that I can relate with you about having that like anxiety on the race line, 
feeling prepared, but then like not knowing what was going to happen once the race, you know, played out. And for me, I didn't have that last 10K that everyone talks about where the race starts. I was like, dude, I just want to get to the finish line at this point of the race. But um, my plan was to run that 245 and I could see it slipping. So I automatically came up with my plan B. And I was like thinking about all the people who are tracking my splits and what they think and am I letting people down? And it's just too much. You got to like let all that stuff go. But I learned so much from that marathon that I'll definitely like change a lot of things once I get the motivation to run a marathon again. So maybe I'll line up with Colleen and and you. (laughs) To your point though, Rolanda, it's like you can train so hard for, for a marathon, but I don't think anyone can really coach or prepare you for like the last couple of miles of like how you're going to handle that situation and like how you're going to, you know, come up with a backup plan. Basically, you have to have one, especially if you want to get to that finish line. Like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. like I never I said, if I stopped moving my legs, I just wouldn't be able to start again. So I had to figure out ways to get myself to the finish line, whatever way possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, A couple of things that I actually would say I learned about being in the elite field for the first time at a world major because that's complete like being in the elite fields for like CIM is so different from like Chicago Marathon. But what I learned was like, okay, one, you go by gun time, not chip time. Yes. That's so right. you yeah, you actually end up with like a slightly slower time. Um, and I understand it, you know, in terms of like the pros, it makes sense. Like whoever finishes first should get first and like, let's not mm-hmm. complicate things. But like for the rest of, you know, the 300 people in that elite field, like, I don't know that it makes sense to go by gun time. Um, and then the other thing that's kind of weird is like, it's illegal to grab bottles on course from like a friend or a family member. So it's like, if you're a pro. turning you in though? Because I feel like people do it anyway. I know, but you know what? I actually, okay. So, well, for sure. So pros get bottles for sure. And then people in the elite or American development program, um, technically you, you're not allowed to grab any bottles on course, but then everybody else they don't care about. Right. But we have different bibs. So it's blue. And so I was chatting with this woman who ran Chicago marathon last year. And she said, somebody actually reported her for grabbing bottles on course. Really? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that really happens if um, there's some kind of prize or reward involved. Okay. Wow. Makes sense. Good to That's know. good to know. Um, I did not know that about um, American development. Um, I knew about the gun time and I, I didn't want to get in anyone's way. I did try to speak up as close as possible because I knew and then just like close my eyes and go to the side so people can go flying by me. Um, does, did that impact your time? Did you? Um, it's... Uh, yeah, you do lose you do lose about like 10 seconds, at least 10 seconds, I would say. Mm-hmm. Depends on where you are in the crowd. If you're like at the very front, you're probably maybe like three to five seconds. If you're in the back, probably closer to 10. So you probably slipped under 253. I I think I did. <laughs> She's like, I definitely in, in did. In my mind, I did. Um, but yeah, and then the, the last thing that I learned too is like the warm-up area, you have to be done warming up so fast. Like I you know, the race starts at 7.30. So I'm like getting there. I'm like mixing my bottles and stuff and the bottle I'm going to hold. And I start my warm up at like 6.45. I literally start my warm up and the lady's like, all right, everybody needs to be done in five minutes. I was like, oh my God. And then they like walk you over there and you're standing there for like another 30 minutes. You can't move until they're ready to walk you out onto the corral. 
Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I I like that corral though. To be honest, I like the no back check, and I like to see the pros, and it's just really inspiring. But yeah, I guess there's trade offs to everything. Um, but uh, I did not know about the water bottle thing, so that's good to know. Yeah, that's uh, that was my first experience. It was good. It was good, but I just there was a lot to learn. Yeah. Well, and it was great talking to you today. I, along with just being your friend and enjoying our conversation, I'm learned. I learned a lot. I'm inspired to start up strength tra- training again. Um, I'm all or nothing person, so I kind of slipped and I was in there. For, I have a home gym, like 30 minutes, and I'm going to go back to like 10 or 15 minutes and do what I can do. And I am excited to just to continue to listen to you and follow your journey. For our listeners who want to hear more about you and follow your tips on physical therapy for runners, where can they find you? They can follow me on Instagram. Um, My Instagram handle is runresilientlydpt. um, And then my website is also runresilientlydpt.com. Great, great. Um, I'm on that site a lot. And um, for our listeners listening, check it out because it's very, very amazing tips that that are going to help your performance. Yeah. And what else do you have coming up race wise? I know you just came off Chicago, but do you have anything down the line kind of penciled in? Oh, I don't know, Rolanda. I if you had asked me on Sunday, I was like, this is it. Like this. This is the end of the season. I've been going hard. And then Monday comes around and I'm like, well, I do have a bib for CIM. Maybe like, let's you know, let's see how recovery goes. Like, I'm not going to rush myself back to running, but like, I don't know. I'm I'm stubborn. And there's, I feel like there's something left on the table here that I need to, you know, go clear up. <laughs> and honestly, like, I, I mean, I love CIM. That is my favorite marathon for any like beginner runner marathon. I highly recommend CIM. Like it's the dorkiest geekiest marathon out there because it's so small. It's like, I don't know, 10,000 people. It's like in the middle of nowhere. You're in Folsom. Like it's just suburban neighborhoods and like, but everybody there has a goal. They want to like run a fast time, a BQ, an Olympic trials qualifier. Like you're there for a purpose. I think it's going to be a pretty exciting race with the OTQ still there. Um, it's one of my favorite races to where I PR. Actually, it's not my favorite race. I did not appreciate the hills. I was like, Mario, there are hills in this race that we did not talk about. But I did PR even after blowing out. So I'm happy about that. <laughs> so even running, like doing your training in Central Park, to me, Central Park is really hilly. Like you, you've didn't feel prepared going into like the CIM, the first half of it, like training in Central um, Park? I went out, I hit the half, two and a half minutes faster than I should have. So it has nothing to do with the race. <laughs> 124.50 and I hit it at like 122.10 or something. And that, well, we'll just leave it at that. That was the issue. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. If you go out too fast on CIM, you won't benefit or feel the downhill at all in the second half. I didn't feel it. But yeah, maybe that was major that. details that you were leaving out, Colleen. <laughs> Right, right. We'll be cheering for you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.